Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode six, and in this episode, I spoke to Meg Navoy of A Wool Story. Meg unravels sweaters that she finds at thrift stores and turns them into yarn that she sells in her online shop or beanies and other items that she hand knits herself. Listen on to hear us geek out about sustainable fiber and how Meg is leading the way with her zero waste knitting. Thanks for tuning in. Hello. And welcome to the Close Knit Podcast. I'm here talking with Meg Navoy of A Wool Story. Hey, Meg. Hey. (laughs) Um, This is our first kind of overseas podcast, so we're not drinking tea together on a couch, sadly, but we are um, chatting over Skype, and I'm in Hobart, Tasmania, and Meg is in Michigan, right? Detroit. Yep, I'm in Detroit. Detroit. Nice. Cool. Awesome. Um, So I'm just going to jump straight into it, Meg. Um, What's your fiber of choice? Um, Well, I think you can guess from the name of my shop, I definitely am partial to wool. (laughs) But I also really like alpaca because I've learned that it's more sustainable than wool, actually. Oh, can you tell me more about that? Well, it's more sustainable than wool just because it takes less resources to raise alpacas. And it's also, you can, since it's like physically a larger animal, you can get more fiber from an alpaca than you can from a sheep. Wow. I didn't know that at all. Also, it's not, um, people aren't allergic to alpaca like they are wool because it doesn't have the same crimp in the fiber that wool does. Oh, and a crimp, the crimp is what can cause the allergy? Yeah, it can cause the itchiness. Whoa, Meg, you just exploded my head. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I never knew anything about that. I just, I keep hearing about how merino in particular, but wool generally is so sustainable, like such a sustainable fiber because there's so many sheep and because like it's biodegradable and all of these other things. Yeah, well, it is, but I think... Alpaca is even more so than wool. Wow. Interesting. Have you been able to um, source any alpaca recently? Not recently. Gosh, I almost never knit with new yarn. But a few years ago, I um, was given a Lollapalooza ticket for my birthday, and then my friend didn't buy a ticket in time and couldn't go. So I ended up just selling my ticket and then instead going to an alpaca farm in Illinois and then buying $200 worth of alpaca yarn. (laughs) That happened. (laughs) That sounds like exactly something I would do. (laughs) And the lady who had the farm was a fiber artist. She did like needle felting Ah. and she also did paintings with fiber to add texture to the paintings and we really hit it off and she like invited me in and showed me her studio and stuff it was really fun oh my god I'd love to see her work that sounds so cool I think it's called Waldron Farms in Illinois okay we'll have to look that up and then add it to the show notes so that people can see it too (laughs) awesome what's um so Meg what's your craft medium of choice or what's your sort of practice involved Well, I'm more of a knitter than a crocheter, for sure. And I typically like to knit 
while I watch, I either watch like the X-Files or something that I, not something super serious that I could just have on in the background <laughs> or while listening to podcasts or NPR or something like that. Mm. Do you have a favorite podcast that you like listening to? I really, I was listening to the Lena Dunham podcast that she did for BuzzFeed recently that I liked a lot. Yeah. And I binge listened to them. Yeah, I just got onto that one too. It's over now, but I listened to them all. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, I know. I was bummed that it finished. It looked. It was a good. It was a good series. I also like the Death, Sex, and Money podcast. That's a good one. Oh yeah, I've been meaning to listen to that. Yeah, cool. Meg, what's your favorite part about fiber arts? And what's one thing that you're really excited about right now? I guess I'm just excited that it's becoming more of a thing. Because I went to school for textiles at FIT. And when I kind of picked that major, I didn't really know what that meant. I learned how to sew in high school. And I was like, oh, fabrics, that's textiles. I'll just learn about that. Mm. But since I started or since I started going to school there, when I went to school there, it was really interesting and I learned so much and I'm really excited about new sustainability textile related things. You know, zero waste is becoming more of a thing. And I know another textile FIT grad started this really interesting company called Evernew uh, for textile recycling, which is really interesting because they can't recycle blended fibers so polyester and cotton, they can't recycle that. It needs to be either 100% polyester or 100% cotton. But she's invented this method of recycling fibers that are blends, which is really interesting. Oh my gosh, that sounds so cool. So I'm really interested in that. <laughs> yeah. Are you, um, I guess when you were at FIT, did you learn about knitting there or was it mostly textiles? I learned about machine knitting and warp knitting, which is like, I don't know how much of common knowledge warp knitting is just because you can't do it by hand. It requires a special machine. It's the kind of knitting that is on like sneakers or like mesh, things like that. Oh. And also weave, weaving and we did some hand weaving and some machine knitting at school and also used industrial machine like stole which is really cool where you learn how to use like a computer a computer program and then then you basically just program it into the machine and it like spits out your design which is really cool wow cool yeah yeah rad so then how is it that you kind of got started with a wool story and with knitting I feel like I just somewhere stumbled upon a tutorial on how to unravel a sweater and I just tried it one time and I was really into just the process of unraveling and I remember explaining it to someone and I had some other things in my Etsy shop that were just made with, you know, regular, I think like Lion brand thick and quick yarn and then it seemed like a lot of people were interested in the more sustainable aspect and, you know, the more uniqueness of the unraveled sweater. And I just fell in love with trying to do things in a more sustainable way and also having things that are super special limited edition style. Yeah, totally. Instead of, you know, kind of 
hopping on the trend of doing things that you know you see a lot of them on Etsy yeah yeah definitely what um what keeps you motivated with a wool story because I'm this is actually a, a question that I'm super interested in talking to people about whether they're um in sort of a business version of their hobby or a hobby or you know whatever it's sort of whatever form that knitting takes for them or the fiber arts takes for them I'm really curious how people kind of maintain motivation and and want to keep going with it. Well, this one, you know, sometimes it's easy to get down just because a lot of people don't understand the work that goes into it, you know, and they kind of look at it and like, what, why is this so expensive? I can just go to Walmart and buy this, the same style thing for, you know, $10. But really, it's all about educating people, I guess, at the slow fashion movement and, just trying to get the message out there of, yeah, you know, s- making things by hand that will last a lot longer and it will be of quality that don't exploit people or the environment or the environment. Yeah, that can really, you know, make an impact if people just bought less of a higher quality and paid a little bit more than they're used to paying and could really, you know, support artisans as well as you know, just make you happier. I remember I read this New York Times article yesterday about, you know, if you, it's actually far financially sound if you pay a lot more money for something, if you truly love it, than to just continually buy a cheap item that you know will break soon after buying it. And it really resonated with me because that's kind of the message that I have to tell people all the time. Yeah. When I'm selling at a when I'm selling at a market next to someone selling something for ten dollars and my things are like eighty dollars, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Do you find that when you start to explain what your costs are and why the things why your um, products cost what they do, do people kind of react to that or react well to that at markets? Like, what is that reaction like? I think some people get it, but some, so I think a lot of people understand it, but you know, you have to kind of internalize the message. You can't just say like, oh, now I understand. I'm just going to buy it right away without thinking about it. And that's really not what I want anyway. You know, I want someone to understand and appreciate the value of something Yeah. and go into it, you know, understanding that this is something that's really worth the price and worth investing in and not something that you're just, you know, if you have a lot of money and it doesn't mean anything to you to just drop $80 on something, you know, I'd rather someone, you know, who wouldn't necessarily buy something for 80, you know, a hat for $80 to just say, oh, this, I understand this is really worth it. And I will appreciate this instead of just mindless, you know, I really am an advocate for conscious consumerism. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, fully. <laughs> I it's funny because I I kind of like use those air quotes and like say it in that funny voice too of like conscious consumerism, but then when it like comes down to it, that seems like the those are like the only that's kind of the only way to explain what it is that I'm thinking about because it's sort of it's not just the environment, it's not just people, and it's not just both of those things. It's also just kind of like a mindfulness, like bringing a mindfulness to your purchasing. Do I really need this thing? Do I love this thing? Is it beautiful? Does it serve me? Like just starting to kind of ask these questions, you know, of, of our purchasing. Yeah. And it can definitely be a, 
a sensitive subject for people because it kind of forces them to think in a different way than media has been telling us are basically the entire existence of buy this keep get things for the cheapest price get a deal black friday you know yeah that yeah. kind of thing it's a completely different as you know completely different perspective but i feel like in the age of life-changing magic of tidying up you know people are more receptive to it than ever before yeah, yeah i think you're right i actually bought that book recently and i'm like trying to I've started reading it just a bit, but I'm also trying to apply it to where I'm at in my life right now, which is moving between houses a lot, living in shared spaces with lots of other people, living with a partner and a, a bunch of other people. And I'm like trying, trying to figure out how you, like whether it has the same effect to declutter only your things or only your, your space as it would like you know this little microcosm within like your your messy house of like 10 people or something I don't know I guess that's tangential but <laughs> well yeah I, I mean I definitely am guilty of heavily encouraging my boyfriend to fold his all of his things in the drawer the same way that I have my you know you know this Marie Kondo way of folding it I <laughs> may or may not have just taken everything out and folded it all myself yeah. <laughs> so that everything and all of the drawers are folded upright standing up in our apartment right now <laughs> awesome I love that <laughs> I think the fir when I first read the book I spent like an hour folding all of my underwear <laughs> gosh I haven't even gotten I haven't even gotten very far in it yet because I'm honestly I'm just intimidated I'm a little scared of like trying to make this process happen <laughs> but I should <laughs> Well, in the book, in the book, she says, you know, specifically not to do, you know, just lead by example when you're living in a space with other people and not force it onto anybody else. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Although it can be difficult if people you live with are messy. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's a little bit like what we're talking about here, too, of like leading by example. You know, I, I wonder, yeah. I was wondering as you were talking, like, do you feel like the steps that you're taking with a wool story and generally in your life to live kind of more zero waste is sort of that for you trying to lead by example like do you see other people starting to make the shift around you because of because of your actions I do actually my this is a really silly story but my dad used the phrase zero waste today on the phone to oh, me oh yay <laughs> he told me and he said he 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 had a zero waste ice cream and I thought he meant like he went to a ice cream place that was that was zero waste and he said he just ate the whole thing and had it on a cone, ice cream cone <laughs> but, but at least he's now like a person who would never know what zero waste means like my dad knows what zero waste means and use the words and I think because of what I you know my values and my example that I try to lead for others I think I've definitely inspired, like I started composting in my last apartment mm. and now one of my former roommates also composts in her new apartment. And so, you know, it's like little things like that. Yeah. I think that's so great. And that's such an awesome story. And you know, it's actually funny because I often go get ice cream and think about that. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm going to get it on a cone because it's really, it's a, it's a good service to, to zero waste. Like I don't need the plastic spoon, but really I just want the cone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sustainable ice cream. Exactly. That's funny. Um, 
What is sort of the biggest bit of advice that you have for someone who's just starting out in the fiber arts? And that could be like related to business or it could be related to kind of just knitting in general. But what's sort of what, what would be some advice that you've got? I think one, don't try to make a long scarf as your first project because you'll get bored and give up. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I know. <laughs> Like, make something small and use a nice yarn so you enjoy it, <laughs> is, my, is my piece of advice. Totally. I guess I was thinking when you said use a nice yarn, that's, like a, that's something that I struggle with when teaching people the basics of knitting, because oftentimes people are really turned off by the craft, one, by knitting long things like scarves that take ages, but also just knitting with um, acrylic and, like, knitting with these yarns that maybe aren't as exciting to knit with. How would you go about sourcing some nice yarn? Like I, maybe maybe you can walk us through kind of your how you source your yarn or something like that. Well, my some of my favorite yarns that I've ever used, I've picked up from the Rhinebeck Wool and Sheep Festival. Ooh, yeah. Just because I don't know if a lot of those people don't sell at local yarn stores or if I just have never noticed them there. But I had I got some really beautiful matter dyed yarn mm. from Rhinebeck. I don't remember where I got it from, but you know, just going to those markets and you really, you know, get into it when you see all the yarn. You see the sheep there, and you can really feel that's traceable. Like I remember, there was this woman who has Angora bunnies there, and she just sits with a bunny in her lap and demonstrates how you harvest the fiber by just pulling out tufts of fur of the, and it's the, like the most relaxing. <laughs> so I think to and sourcing, you know, if you can go to a farmer's market that sells yarn, like the Union Square Farmer's Market in New York, or go to a local yarn shop, because people who work at local yarn shops are, you know, more than welcome, more than happy to help, help you find a good yarn. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Most of the time. Yeah, 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 most of the time. <laughs> um, and then when you're going about sourcing for a wool story how does that process go so I like to you know check out different thrift stores around wherever I am you know in Detroit there's several there's a really good Salvation Army here that I love and I just kind of peruse the racks I like to look through the men's sweaters just because they're usually bigger mm -hmm. and then I look for anything that's natural fibers in the past I've only used wool but this year I started using more cotton yeah. which has been fun to incorporate just because in the past people have told me you know I'm allergic to wool and I like the concept so I wanted to be more inclusive in that way yeah so I only use natural fibers and I also only look for sweaters that are assembled by linking instead of surging because when it's surged you can't unravel it because it kind of it clips off the end mm, okay and I like to look for different I like to look for white sweaters because it's fun to over dye the yarn because it can be somewhat limiting when you look for previous like pre-existing sweaters because you can usually only find you know gray charcoal maroon mostly those colors but if you can get white and over dye it yourself you can I've done neon colors before I've done dip dye of pink and blue and so that's always fun to experiment with yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. 
Um, so who do we need to be following in the fiber arts world? Like who are some people that you've either recently found out about or are friends of yours or just people doing cool things in the fiber arts space? Gosh, I'm not sure if I can say anyone original that that people don't already know. I love following the Quince and Co. Instagram. I love Marley from Have Company and Camellia Fiber Co. I love looking at her beautiful yarns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and of course, Karen Templer, always. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was just going through Karen's, like, just all the the back sort of going back through her blog yesterday Mm -hmm. and I was just like god I love everything she does like everything she touches is pure gold yeah she's really good at picking picking yarns for projects and nice colors Mm, agree yeah and just beautiful yarns like she's so good at finding good quality and just like yeah like you say just really classic Mm -hmm. like beautiful yarns yeah Marianne Moody for weaving yeah, absolutely. She's an Aussie girl. <laughs> I know. Awesome. Um, thanks, Meg, for being here today. Was there anything else that you wanted to add? Um, I think that's everything. Yeah, cool. This was great. I really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You've just listened to episode six of the Close Knit Podcast with Meg Navoy from A Wool Story. You can find the show notes for this episode as well as all previous episodes on my website, www.closeknit.com.au slash podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. See you next time.